Hello listeners, is the world scaring the crap out of you? Are you using way too much of that limited resource called toilet paper? Well, today's episode is for all of us that want to minimise fear as much as we can and find a point of equilibrium where things affect us, but no more than they have to so that we can be kinder to ourselves and better able to support the people around us. Welcome, David, live from your own house and uh, the the only Red- resident studio and the Whiffin resident studio, uh, live from the quarantine bunkers, let's say. Today, live from the quarantine bunkers, fear. <laughs> How tight is your sphincter? <laughs> well, uh, hopefully not too tight. We're going to make use of all that toilet paper. Uh, <laughs> yes, and that's a bad thing. You might not be able to be replaced. <laughs> oh, well, it, it certainly is a time where I think a lot of people are in that, let's say, scarcity mindset. A lot of people are in feeling feeling the the entire weight of doom on their shoulders, feeling fear. So, certainly an important topic at the moment. I think we'll start with something really, you know, simple and straightforward again, because we need to reduce fear any way we can at the moment. And I was reading a fantastic article this morning that we have two options as societies with COVID-19. We can either aim to, you know, eliminate exposure to the virus incompletely. So something like what the New Zealanders are trying, where they locked everyone down as fast as possible, and they're going to stay super locked down. And that's going to be sort of their big aim is to go, right, no one goes out, nothing happens, nothing. The other thing is what we're doing here, which is simply to slow the rate of infection until we get to herd infection, well, get to herd immunity. So in reality, all this is to just slow the rate. And what most of the epidemiologists I've been reading have been saying is we need to get to 60% of us having had it to start getting to the level of herd immunity. But the question is slowing that pace so that The medical system is not overwhelmed. So fear of getting it for some people is a legitimate fear they could die. For most of us, the fear is the unknown. So what we need is better messaging is the first thing. And that is we're slowing the rate of infection because most people will come through it well so that we can protect the vulnerable and have medical beds for them. So that's really our starting point is be afraid of the unknown a little bit but inform yourself as much as possible about what is actually likely to happen. Mm. I mean, that that I mean, it's a difficult thing to propose. I, I, I am finding, as someone who is trying to share at least a decent amount of legitimate information, uh, that uh, some people aren't interested. And I think that's because there's so much information out there. It really becomes really hard to discern the uh, how how to. Well, that's how the to thing. You need a really it. a really trustworthy source when you're starting to freak out. So part of the thing here is people need to decide what is their credible source, what is their verification source, and beyond that, don't look. If it really upsets you, don't look. Look in the morning, look at night, look at your you know, your credible source, look at your verification source. So in my case, I like using you know the ABC for sort of the general source. And then I will go out and search for something written by an epidemiologist or a public health expert to go, okay, where did the media get this thing they just put out? I don't want to be reading all day, but I'm willing to go find my verification written by an actually qualified grown-up human. Yeah, true. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of messaging out there and most of it is consistent in terms of social distancing. Most of it is consistent in uh, most of the basic actions that we need to do to flatten the curve, which is, you know, very mm. much on trend. Um, it's definitely easy to notice that some people, <laughs> it's taking longer to get through to than others. Um, but I'm finding personally, like, especially in my circles, especially in my circles, that uh, a lot of people are just really fearful um, about how their lives are going to be from now on, because, and I think that's mostly an economic 
they're mostly afraid of the economic crisis you know yes. uh, people who are like you know close to me who have been affected uh, don't have jobs you know have lost uh, yeah. a, a connection to meaningful work uh and yeah. that has obviously you know they can't buy things but uh, so it has like economic um consequences but it also yeah it's that social thing of uh yeah, lost connection to to meaningful work that's a really important thing to to go what's your fear about so for most people fear of the virus should be more aimed at what's it going to do to vulnerable people we care about well they're the reason to maintain social isolation uh, and social distance oh sorry they're the reasons to maintain social distance and self-isolation. I think I got them the right way around that time. Man, I always end up combining these phrases in weird and unique ways. No, you did that. Yeah, that was good. Mean, it was good. The wrong way around. <laughs> that, that was the right way around. This is good. But uh, you're exactly right there. Part of a, you know, something to do, writing down what you're thinking can be really important to manage fear. Yeah. So self-talk is good, but you need to capture the automatic negative thoughts, the ants. Mm. And lots of psychologists and neurologists you know, talk about you know, we need to understand that the ants come out of our brain and we need to squash the ants as fast as possible. And the best way to squash the ants is initially to write them down so you can deal with them rationally because writing them down moves them from system one, fast intuitive thinking, into system two, calmer, more rational thinking. So everyone, you know, at some point, sit down and write your list of what are you really afraid of at the moment? If you personally are afraid of the virus, then have a think about, okay, are you immunocompromised? If you're not, then, okay, it's okay to be a little bit afraid, but you can reduce your fear level a bit if you possibly can. If you are you know, old and genuinely in danger, okay, you really need to take the self-isolation really, really seriously. We all need to take it seriously for the sake of the vulnerable. So even if you are not very afraid of getting the virus yourself, you need to be very afraid, not very afraid, you need to be satisfactorily aware, you need to be sufficiently aware that you could be an asymptomatic carrier and put people at risk. So you do you know, social distancing just in case you're carrying it and don't know. That's not something to be afraid about in a big way, but it's just being mindful of the well-being of others. You can turn fear from fear of the virus into a, a positive thing of I am being mindful of the well-being of others. And that's the phrase I'm trying to use with people at the moment. Yeah. Why am I at home? Well, not because I'm afraid of the virus, but because I'm mindful of the well-being of people who are more vulnerable mm. than me. Yeah, that mind. You can turn this from fear into some sort of empowerment. True. I mean, even... but. Even even if it is still stressful, I mean, like a, a mindful fear is much better than mindless fear, you know. Precisely, and any form of empowerment can become a bit of a counterbalance. And really, what we need more than anything at the moment is counterbalances. Yeah, well, it's it, as you said, writing it down. Like it's 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 naming it's naming the thing. Like uh, being being able to. Um, now like once 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 you've you've named exactly what it is that has got you so tied up you know that you know you're feeling in the pit of your stomach um it is is a much more tangible thing to tackle and to educate yourself about let's say uh and it, you, you may get yourself to a a point where even before the empowerment stage yep. that it's actually just not as scary as you thought because one thing is for sure. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, one thing is for sure. I think is that um, it's probably not going to be as bad as you would imagine it to be. No, and that's the nice thing on YouTube now. We're beginning to get videos from people who've recovered. Hmm. And if you're feeling really afraid, go search for those things of you know COVID nineteen patient recovers. They're really good. Yeah, someone sounds like they've had a, a rough cold or a rough week, mm. but they're like, well, I've come out the other side. I'm starting to feel better. That can be a really positive reminder because part of our problem at the moment is we don't know what it's like to go through a pandemic. It's not something most of us experienced. So our basal ganglia will look for the nearest thing we can find in our brains. 
And after 10 years of zombie TV, where does our brain go? Straight to the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it, it, it does feel in some ways like it's, it's out of a, 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 a science fiction novel. You know, I'm just thinking about this social isolation thing. You know, um, everything that's going on now seems like the 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 prologue to a a really good uh dystopian novel it, everything that's being set up all all these bits of language it feels a little bit like 1984 you know mm. social distancing like there are all these new bits of language that it just feels it straight out of a novel yep yeah and this is the thing so many of the phrases we hear them we use them but if we thought what they really mean and how they affect us. Social distancing protects other people in case we are an asymptomatic carrier or if we are before the point of showing symptoms. Yeah. Self-distancing isn't because we should freak out. It's so that we don't put someone else at risk. Another really good thing about writing down you know, your potential fears is you can go through them one at a time. So if we look first thing, fear of the virus, okay, that's going to be very different depending on the person. Fear of how are we going to keep paying the bills? Well, that's a legitimate one, but everyone's in it together. And as we can see, it'll be a while before money arrives, but the moves are all beginning to happen to make sure that money will flow, which could be fascinating to see if we transform the economy after this. And uh -huh. secondly, to make sure that you can't lose your home, whether it be you can't pay the rent or can't pay the mortgage to make sure that evictions are impossible under the current circumstances. So that one, yeah, it's bad in terms of, well, what does the future look like? That's a question where we normally live in a delusion that tomorrow will look like today. So we've always got a delusion about that. And the delusion is that tomorrow will remain like today and it will be groovy. That's just not true. Tomorrow will be what tomorrow will be, and that is largely dependent on forces today that we're ignoring because they don't suit us or we don't pay attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, what's that called? It's like um, they they talk about it in in stocks. It's like it's like a basketballer's fallacy. It's that you know uh, people think that just because Michael Jordan's made you know a hundred percent of the shots so far in the game, he's going to make the next shot. Precisely, it's which like, is illogical. Man, all the days so far have been amazing. It doesn't mean that yeah. tomorrow is going to be amazing. Like <laughs> so in some ways, you could say it's it's an example of survivorship bias. You only see what you see. Yeah. Or, or it's yeah. And that's only it's, the it's, it's it's um Bayesian forecasting, right? Like yeah. if you don't look for data, you're not going to alter your hypothesis. Mm. So the idea that tomorrow is like today is a delusion. The only certainty is tomorrow is not like today, which is both frightening and incredibly positive mm. because it means if today's a bad day, tomorrow could be worse yep. or better, yep. and that will be to some extent determined by how we contribute to it. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, well one thing is for sure is that you can certainly uh, at least do something. You know, there, there, are, there are things that are still within your control, even though the outside world is just is perhaps even falling to pieces. Yep. You, um, you've always got some so, control. So you can still make things better for yourself tomorrow. Yeah, we go back to the William Glasser you know, episodes we did. You've always got choices. You may not like them, but you still get to make them. Mm. And still having choices means you can and will affect what happens next. All the choices could be difficult, but you can decide which difficult thing you're going to engage in. It is still your choice. And that's a very powerful idea. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about how, you know, this is an opportunity that once this all blows over to, to, to change the status quo. Uh, and and how and, and looking at things as if they're opportunities rather than um, just as struggles by themselves and it, it kind of got me thinking about this analogy and not wanting yesterday back well yeah exactly uh, everything that is a personal achievement and anything when you go through a personal change whether it be you know losing weight um whether it be learning something new whether it be you know, repairing a relationship perhaps you know all of those things are in just like struggles 
that you experience some of your worst times to get to, and then you have an achievement. And I'm I'm kind of thinking about the our current situation in the same context. It's like we might be struggling through perhaps some of the worst economic times that Australia has seen for probably a century. And at the end of that, we might have it better than we did before. We just need that kind of personal struggle or that, that kind of societal, let's say, struggle to go through uh, and out of it comes growth. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. We need to remember that wanting the best yesterday back is never a good idea. Because at any point where you're not growing, you're actually risking a greater chance of problems. Because if you're not growing, you're not adapting. If you're not adapting, the world will confront you in unpredictable ways because you chose not to prepare. So just some little things people can do. In each of these fears you've potentially written down on your list, Mm. be a good little Mm. stoic for a minute and do a premeditation of evil exercise. The worst thing happens, you get the virus. What's it like having the worst cold you've ever had? What's it like having the flu? What's it like going to hospital? We've all experienced most of these things, and guess what? We're still here. Mm. So in terms of the premeditation of evil, we've had practice at all of these. If it makes you feel better, pack the little bag you would want to take to hospital with you, Mm. things you think you need, and have it ready if you have to go. In terms of, okay, economically, well, we're in it now. Yeah. But there's a big difference between being it a bit economically like we are now and help being on the way and something like the Depression where genuinely the world hit the floor and didn't really know what to do for a bit. So if you've got a garden outside, what could you go and start growing? Is it going to change it today? No. But are you going to feel better doing something? Mm. Are you going to feel better if you go out and plant seeds in preparation for winter and then spring? Oh, absolutely. In so many cases, you can premeditate evil. If you can't go near people, but you still know, hey, they've got skills and I've got skills, and you go, hey, could you make me this thing and I'll make you the thing I know how to make? You've got a friend who's a damn good metal worker. If you needed something, Mm. you you could probably trade him something for that. That doesn't mean go near each other, but it still means that if need be, we can find ways to get things we need. Except, of course, the mythical beast known as toilet paper. <laughs> uh, well, it's like that year two experiment. I'm not sure if you did this at school, David, but when I was at school, uh, it was probably about year two, we uh, mashed up, I don't know, all kinds of like cardboard and uh, packets and all kinds of things and ended up making recycled paper out of it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I remember doing something simple. It, it sounds like fun. Yeah, it look, it doesn't have a high yield, but when times are desperate. <laughs> yeah, and it gives you a project. Absolutely. So a very big thing at the moment is, all right, during our days, we're going to be, you know, a lot of us doing the work we would do out in the world at home. Really, the worst you know, situation is that your job is gone and you've just got masses of time to fill. Mm-hmm. So order is what more people need more than anything at the moment. Yeah, When are you going to get up? What are you going to do when you get up? So for me, because I can work from home on the defense grant, I can work from home for the stuff for uni, you and I can do this from home. Yeah, When I get up, I still, the first thing I do is get up, quickly have a look at the news, see if there's anything important I need to know about, go have a shave, do my yoga practice, clean up, then it's time to sit down and do work for three or four hours. Mm. That's the deep thinking work, whether it's writing a lecture or working on the grant, then it's time to have something to eat. Now what I'm implementing is I then go up and down the staircase for our apartment building a few Mm. times because I'm not walking anywhere necessarily. Yeah. Now, I'm still trying to be supportive of the little cafe at the end of my street, fair and square, so I'll walk down and get a coffee and get a takeaway meal because if things get even tighter lockdown, that may have to stop. So I want to go and do my little things now. And are they the perfect example of self-distancing and you know, sorry, social distancing and self-isolation? Not really. But if we're in this for weeks and weeks and weeks, mm. well, we're going to be eating canned food and boring stuff for those weeks. For now, when I can go and get a nice 
pre-prepared meal that Hindi's made for 12 bucks and bring it home and put it in the microwave, that brings joy to the day. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It's, you know, I... I'm hesitant to say make hay while the sun shines because I don't I don't want to encourage people to um, do things that the government is rec- only recommending not to do. Uh, at this point, definitely do the thing. Well, sorry, definitely don't do the things that the government is recommending not to do. <laughs> uh, I just I just mean that whilst you know businesses are still open. Opening yourself to uh, you know online shopping through small businesses or whatever it is, seizing the especially the hospitality opportunities that are, uh, are around right now. You know they're all trying really hard to make sure that their work is as hygienic and uh, easy to access in these times as possible. Without uh, most of them are doing a pretty damn good job of being responsible. Yeah, mm. you just have to think you don't touch anything in the store when you go there. You just go in and tap your card on the thing and pick your food up off the counter. And when you get home, you wash your hands before you unpack your food. That's right, yeah. All of this, if you just do it thoughtfully, we can help make sure that some people keep earning and that our lives have a little bit of diversity still in them before it gets even more complicated. So, I mean, making sure that people keep their jobs for as long as possible. I mean, I've just thought about that as basically economic triage. It's like... The longer that we can keep lines at the Centrelink office as as low as possible, making it manageable for the amount of people that work there, it's like we shouldn't just have so that you know that that everyone is lining up for the Centrelink uh, office at the same time. You know, if we can keep certain businesses open, then it's just going to stagger the amount that people are going to line up there. It's the same as what we're trying to do with the social distancing and flattening the curve of the yeah, virus. This is the same thing: flattening yeah. the curve. We're flattening the economic curve. And we're flattening the mental health curve. Absolutely, okay. absolutely, because that's that's such a big thing, and it's it's amazing that we're, uh, you know, imagine if this had happened twenty years ago when the internet and the technology probably just wasn't quite up to scratch about keeping us well, connected. You, you would have had the passive thing of TV, no ability to get anything other than a pizza delivered, no ability to pay for it electronically. You know, I'm thinking more thirty years. If we'd gone back thirty years, wow. This would have been chaos. People would have genuinely been in their homes and the TV and the radio on alternating and that would have been about it. Yep. Yep. So going back to, to getting order in your day, you know, just so people get a sense of my day that I'm not asking anyone to do anything I don't do. So I have my lunch. Then I go up and down the stairs a few more times, get a little bit more sunshine because we've got to remember to do that, particularly where I live in an apartment. So, you know, don't have a yard. So sitting out on the balcony or going up and down the staircase is a good alternative. Then it's to light a smaller work-related task for a few more hours. And what I'm sort of thinking of implementing, you know, more and more as an organized thing is at the end of the workday, okay, who am I going to call? Who's today's phone call to, you know, that I haven't spoken to for a little while? And just go in rotation for a phone call. Then probably a second phone call to my mum and dad or to close friends who I talk to more regularly. And there's time to do something about eating some dinner. and then. I can veg yep. and read for fun or Netflix yep. or just hang on the couch with Karen while she knits and I read, but only once the orderly day is over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's such an opportunity to get all those things done that you just do not feel like you have the time for. You know, I've got a brother-in-law who works at uh, Bunnings and I was just elated to hear that they have almost sold out of their house paint that they're struggling to get the supplies in for their house paint because people are saying, oh, well, we're going to be in isolation for two weeks. Perfect time to paint the house. Yep. I can't think of anything better. And for any of you that are sitting out there going, I don't know what to do. It's a rental place. You can find things to do. The whole internet world is available to you. You can still be learning. You can still be giving something a go. At the very least, you can get together with a group of friends Decide to read a book, pay a few bucks to get the Kindle version, or get a classic version as an EPUB for free. Decide to read two hours a day, and to have a little reading group, you know, via Skype or yeah, Zoom perfect. or something, every couple of days, and go. Well, we're going to read yeah. at a minimum. 
Look, I I know that um, a lot of video games have so literally video game consoles have been selling out. People have panic bought those in literally the last two weeks. Um, I know that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to do that, going to have um, maybe more vegging out than they do have a productive day because you know it's not like if you work in retail and you get laid off that you can work from home. So. Um, and especially if you're in rental. So, you know, you're going to read your book for half the day and what are you going to do for the rest of it? You might play some video games. Well, a nice thing about the internet and the technology we have is that you can actually do that with your friends. I, I'd imagine that now that everyone's panicked for all these uh, video game consoles, that there would be someone you know, I am sure, uh, whether it be your workmate, whatever it is, that you could be playing games with. It's like these things can be group activities. I've just organized next week completely illegally mind you but mm, desperate times desperate measures uh to screen share uh, a film so that i'll be watching a film on my computer which i'll have on my television and uh a f- you know uh, two of our friends will be uh watching the same movie because i'll be streaming it to them via screen share so it'll be like yeah. we're virtually in the same room watching and you can the all same talk film. at the same time because exactly you've got Skype or Zoom or something over. yeah yeah so you can watch a film and ch- a film and chat about it. You know, we've already planned to catch up with a few people where they'll open a bottle of wine at their end with their dinner. We'll open one and we just prop up an iPad. Perfect, perfect. It's just about going. Yeah, you know, all right. Particularly if you've been in a job and it's gone, where you're now at home. Yeah, you're going to struggle to make more than half the day productive. But if you can make half the day, at least you're going to learn or do, then. The other half might be more enjoyable, but if it's just all no structure, no order, yeah, at least I want to come out of this having put no weight on, still able to do my full yoga practice, probably very sick of going up and down the stairs as an alternative to walking places, yeah, and not having got behind on work. If I can manage those things, then you know, likelihood is things will be okay. Yep. So another little thing, it's so easy to think that there will be no good bits in this. But I think one of those things from positive psychology of saying, yeah, end of every day, write down three things that went well and why they went well. And one could be, I stuck to my routine and helped the time pass. That's your own discipline. Another could be, I talked to somebody on the phone. Well, why'd that go well? Because they rang. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Another could be, it was a sunny day and I sat outside in the backyard or on the balcony and just sat quietly and absorbed the sun. Now, remember, guys, you need some sun, even though it can cook us. If you're feeling anxious, breathing techniques, one of the best ways to calm yourself down is breathe in to a three count, breathe out to a six count. So the breath out needs to be twice as long as the breath in. Uh, It can be awkward to do when you're anxious. You feel like you're going to gasp. You will the first few times, but it slows your heart rate. It gets your oxygen levels down. It brings you back from fight and flight. About 10 of those in a row, once you get good at them, is enough to reduce your heart rate and calm down. So if you're going to go and sit outside in the sun for a minute, just breathe into a three count, breathe out to a six count, repeat that 10 times. Don't pick your phone up. Just look at a bird, look at a butterfly, look at a bee, look at a plant moving in the sun or in the wind. Just be for a little while and recognize that just being is nice. Yeah, yeah. And and, and the peacefulness uh, outside, I must say at the moment, is um, really something to be lap, lapped up, I guess, because you know, the, the, the hustle and bustle of urban living is just... Um, it's just not there anymore. Like, and it's just, it's actually that, that, that kind of peacefulness. I'd imagine it'd be even more stark where you are, uh, you know, quite near the CPD. Oh yeah. Being under a flight path. It's incredible. Yeah. Yesterday it was like really weird at about 6 PM. There were four planes within about 20 minutes. And we're like, <laughs> hang on. Yeah. Where'd they come Wyala from? Or something. There were a whole four planes. <laughs> yeah. We've gone hours without a plane. Oh, it was four jets, so I reckon it was probably the four big, you know, direct flights to say, okay. you know, yeah, East the Coast last cities ones. or something like that. Like, I'm wondering if we're down to one in in the morning and one out at night. Oh, these just for like emergency services or something. 
Well, I would say that you know some of the flights are, are going because still we have to be moving around people, and Qantas at Virgin yeah. haven't got rid of everything yet. So I wonder if you know literally some planes come into a city at the beginning of the shift for the staff, and they just twiddle their thumbs and have one flight at the end of the day to get back to home base, and that's the day. Yeah, right. Loiter in the uh, loiter in the airport. We'll have to ask Jess yeah. how that's all working at Qantas. True. She'll know, or she'll have more yeah. ability than we do. So you know, just enjoy the calmness. Try this thing of writing down three things that went well and why. And they can be the tiniest things. Because we've got so much time. Every week we're going through this. Write a thank you letter to someone you've never really thanked properly for everything they've done for you. Ideally, call them, video them, and read it to them. And then have a chat. Mm, I love that one. As much as things are difficult, remember that there's still things to be grateful for. Mm. Well, if you're at home with your partner, work out what you're going to say to each other when you're really at the end of your rope and you just need quiet time. Don't wait to the point where you're going to explode. Just say, I need quiet time. I'm going in this room. Please just leave me alone for a bit. Or I need quiet time. I'm going outside just for a little bit, sit in the balcony or sit in the yard. You know, work out how to communicate now before the tension gets higher. Yeah, I'm. I don't want to be the. I don't want to be too uh, glasses glasses half full kind of guy. I don't want to. I don't want to come in and 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 kind of steamroll everything with positivity. But I, I'm the way I've been kind of framing this. Honestly, I I really just feel like there's a gray lining to the silver cloud. Like, uh, <laughs> um, I, it's or a silver lining to this gray cloud. No, no. I mean, I mean it the other way around. Like, I I'm I okay. I genuinely feel like. Even though this is adversity, um, I just see it as as way more of an opportunity, uh, and and that's uh, only because, uh, let's say, economic fears that I've had, I've um, I've I've educated myself about and 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 come to different conclusions. And in in terms of health fears, uh, my only real health fear is that um, you know my dad, who is seventy one, so in a you know moderate risk kind of category uh it, it isn't isn't a, isn't too badly affected by it um yeah. or, or or doesn't catch it basically and uh I, i'm i'm reasonably confident he won't because he always has and and continues to work from home and uh as far as i know they've been um they've been keeping all of their social uh they've been good social distances and self-isolators yeah, basically, they've just been going for walks with the dog, and they've been seeing uh, immediate family, so their daughters, basically. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And again, same with me. Where you know, my dad's seventy-one as well. You know, my mum is in her, her mid-sixties. Yeah, she'd be well, she's well, not late sixties yet. I have to count sixty-six. So yeah, it's a case of just we need to be careful about other people, careful about ourselves. But yeah, you know, let's talk about some books on fear that might be helpful for you. Because part of my weird brain is I like to learn, and because I like to learn, even when I'm concerned, as long as I'm learning, I can focus on that. That's just my nature. So my natural thing is to go, well, okay, yep, yeah, that's I don't like it, but if I can learn something, well, that's good. And I've just as long since learn to move my focus to I'm learning and that's a good thing. So three books on fear, well worth reading. The first is Daniel Gardner's book, The Science of Fear, which talks about how anything you know, immediate that's going to get us now is the big thing we focus on, i.e. COVID-19. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. the long-term thing that one day we might be hit with a pandemic is something we should have been planning for for 20 years and haven't been. The lack of redundancy in systems is an incredible proof of our inability to deal with distant fear. Uh, a caveat, I guess, to that is I'm genuinely appreciative that this isn't way more dangerous th- than. Oh it yeah, is. we're lucky. Yeah, absolutely. COVID nineteen is bad, but not. Yeah, you know, if if it was SARS with the ability to spread like this spreads, so if it was severe acute respiratory syndrome with high levels of infectiousness, mm-hmm. cowabunga, yep. then we'd have a problem. This is our problem, but that would be a whole other magnitude of problem. 
And so in terms of a wake-up call, fortunate. I think we're fortunate in terms of a wake-up call. So there, there will be, you would hope, I mean, we definitely need to keep people accountable to the fact that you would yeah. uh, that there should be the, the redundancy systems in place for the, the next time this happens. Because all of a sudden, you know, this cushy life that, we're, that we've been, been you know, coasting on yeah. for a while now, it's, it, it's suddenly been shown to, to, for its true fragility. And uh, now we have the opportunity to say, okay, well, you know, it was crazy there for a minute. Let's make sure that next time this happens, yeah. and undoubtedly it will. Maybe not in this exact way, but uh, next time it happens, you know, um, yeah. what can we do to make it not so terrible? And I think a big way to remember that is to go, we had SARS. We took it very seriously for a few months and then didn't. We've had MERS. We took it very seriously for a few months and then we didn't. We've had Zika virus. We took it very seriously for a few months and then didn't. We've had Ebola. We took it very seriously for a few months and then didn't. And then we got this. And luckily, it's bad, but not horrific, relative to if those other things had become highly infectious. So the lesson is here. No, this is not a one-off. It's the fifth thing, sort of, you know, a disease nearly getting out of control in 20 years. So this actually is normal. Now, redundancy needs to become normal because challenges to redundancy are normal. And this is a big thing to focus on when you're feeling afraid and you want the world to be different later, is it's only going to be different if we demand that it be different, that we demand of politicians that more is invested in redundancy and that we don't have quite as cushy a life because we have to invent, invest more in redundancy. But by investing more in redundancy, we'll be less concerned when there's problems. So we need to take Daniel Gardner's observations and analysis on board. And that if it's immediate, we freak out. If it's distant, we don't respond properly and go, no, no longer acceptable. Let's look at the long-term pattern. And I've only done the last 20 years. If we did from the 1918 flu epidemic to now, how many medical disasters would be fine? How many wars? How many things that constantly threatened you know, the sort of successful running of society because of lack of redundancy? Our, our history of is having oh shit moments and playing catch up. Now the depression thankfully was the oh shit moment that helped us prepare for World War II. But imagine having to go in World War II without the depression first as a preparatory mechanism. So in terms of second book, Ranulph Fine's book Fear is a fantastic read because here's someone that went from being a kind of scared kid, scared of a lot of things, to ending up in the SAS and then a polar explorer. And his life experiences are so interesting and his research is so good. So when he talks about anxiety or panic or fear, there's always a personal example, a modern example, and the scientific evidence, and some ideas to deal. It, it's great in that, that conjunction of things. And I think really what I took away from that that's very interesting is, okay, we use the word fear far too willy-nilly, far too easily. Sometimes we are anxious, and that's a warning to either move away from something or change the circumstances, or really sit down and assess what we're feeling, work out why, work out if it's reasonable, work out how we should respond if things get worse. So anxiety is a good teacher at some level. Panic is it's gone beyond anxiety and we don't have a plan. So in those circumstances, premeditation of evil people, where's your planning, what you're going to do, and fear is generally when you know, wow, if I don't implement my plan now, things are going to be bad. Oh, I had a plan, didn't I? Yes, right. Okay, the only way I'm going to reduce the fear is to act. And you have to know what you're going to do when it gets to that. So for people who've lost their jobs and a home, if you can spend half the day learning, great. But part of that learning could be each day, premeditation of evil on one thing you're afraid of. What's your plan? 
If it involves setting up a go bag, fantastic. If it involves setting up a go to hospital bag, fantastic. If it involves starting to, you know, plant some seeds, fantastic. But prep for as many things so the anxiety causes the development of a plan which helps reduce panic. And then if it really gets to the fear state, you know what you're going to try and do. And the third book that I think is really important is Ant Middleton's book, The Fear Bubble. And the most important thing about that, and you know, too, I'm sure you want to add to this because you really enjoyed that book as well, is recognize when you are stepping into or out of a fear bubble. At home, there's nothing to be afraid of. You've cleaned it, it's good. You've wiped down the door handle since the last time anyone came in. You've done the dishes, you've cleaned, it's a good environment. Why are you afraid at home? You need to sit down and be reasoned and go, there's no reason for a fear bubble here. I can be anxious about what's going on economically. I can be anxious about the well-being of the people I care about. But they're in your head things. They're not the environment you're in. The environment you're in is safe and nice. When you go outside, yeah, there should be a tiny sense of anxiety building, but there shouldn't be a fear bubble. This is not airborne. Unless there's another person out there and they walk up to you and cough in your face, you're okay. Yeah, as I said to you the other day, you won't shake my you know my hand. And I said, "Well, I won't lick yours." <laughs> yeah, we need to keep it weird. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it wouldn't be us if it weren't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, look, I um, I'd be keen to come back and talk a little bit about Ant Middleton's book uh, again, only because I think there's uh, room for a whole other discussion about victim mindsets. Yes. On victim mentality, and uh, that can be—that's a whole separate. That's a whole separate episode, and I think we could talk about that. Uh, I, I don't want to involve young blood if he can't, but no. uh, we could talk about that definitely with with someone and uh, talk about how to deal with other people in your life who have that, and and then how to kind of self-diagnose and help yourself if you're feeling yeah. that a little bit too, because I think everyone has it to an extent. So absolutely. But to take the thing we can take today and add in, it's fine. When you walk into the supermarket to do your weekly shop, that's legitimately a fear bubble. Someone could cough on you. So what's your prayer? At an absolute minimum, maybe you do want to get a mask for when you go shopping. And when you bring it home, you hang it out in the sun for the UV to cook anything that was on it. Is it perfect? No. You mandate the men and I get home. If I had to drive, I'll wipe down the door handles or anything I touched in the car. If you walked, when you come home, you, you know, wash your hands and then rewipe the front doorknob. Have the plan for how you manage the fear bubble. When you enter it, what you're going to do in it, and when you exit it, that you now can legitimately calm down again. Because permanent fear is crippling. Going in and out of fear bubbles is normal particularly now. So I found the last week when I still needed to go into uni this week just to make sure everything worked for recording lectures, that getting on the community bus was a bit of a thing. Well, how am I going to press the button with the back of my hand? How am I going to feel that, you know, the seat's empty? Well, I'm going to run my cane across the front. Then I'm going to run the back of my hand over the seat to make sure no one's left something like a coffee cup or something on there that could be really annoying to sit on. So I've used the back of my hand. I've used the cane as much as possible. I'll sit, I know how I'm going to press the button, I know I'll put the back of my hand against the, you know, the door as it folds back to know exactly where the door is, find the edge with my cane, do all those normal things, but do them more deliberately. That's how you manage fear bubbles, to be deliberate in how you're going to deal while you're in them and to know where they end. Yeah, that mindfulness in the no, moment. Thinking let, slow. Don't let the world be a fear bubble. Well, eventually those things will become second nature. Um, I think we're going to have to start teaching ourselves. It, it how, depending how long this goes for, it, it we we may have a bit of um, a, 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 a a slow uptake on you know keeping us to. We it may take us a while to relearn how to be close to another person, how to how to stop those perhaps even overly hygienic practices, because for an extended period of time. Uh, when we're under no threat, I definitely think that those could be of harm to the. They'll be the new habituations. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it's just a but like the herd immunity might be harmed by the fact that we have reasonably drastic hygienic practices. Yeah, that we've become absolute germaphobes about everything. Yeah. So I think in some ways it, it's you know it's lovely to be going through this you know at home with my wife, I to still have human closeness. But yeah, what's human closeness going to be like with other people? So for me, it's really weird because even this week when I've gone out and done things like when I was at uni doing stuff related to complex problem solving with Doc, I was of course still taking his arm to walk around. So I'm breaking all the rules just by being a blind person anyway. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? Like, honestly. <laughs> Precisely. Mm. Yeah. So at some level, this is about flattening the curve for the virus, but also flattening the curve for our fear and flattening the curve for our mental health deteriorating. It's about doing all three at once and by being mindful about what can make you afraid, what you're afraid of, and how you're going to plan to respond to make sure that fear isn't debilitating. Because fear will get worse over time. It will chew away. It will erode us. So the mechanisms need to be in place as early as possible to mitigate just the bits we can and be reasonable about the bits we can't. And this is stoicism, right? This is, you, 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 in, in some ways, you flatten curves both ways. And over life, you, you, you reach a, a more, well, you, you spend more time in equilibrium because, you know, your, yeah. your highs are not nearly as high to be, let's say, emotionally destabilizing and your lows are not nearly as low to be, again, um, destabilizing. So that you, you spend yeah. most of your time in a happy medium and it is meaningful and satisfying, um, even though perhaps you don't have those kind of cocaine hits, it is much better to, to, to be in those kind of long-term... Well, the average Stoic is going to, you know, again, there's four sort of you know, core principles in Stoicism. Uh, it's wisdom, temperance, justice, and courage. And yeah, the, other, the other three lead to wisdom in the main, so temperance, justice, and courage. Temperance says, you know, have a glass of wine, enjoy it. Have a beer, enjoy it. Yeah, If you want to make the ultimate marijuana cookie, enjoy it. But have enough to enjoy it, not enough to get lost in it and then have to recover from a place you didn't mean to go. <laughs> so temperance for the Stoics is don't lose joy. There's no losing joy in Stoicism. There's just not yeah. overindulging in joy to the That's point right. where it becomes a problem in itself. So you know, how many functional alcoholics are there going to be at the end of COVID-19, who've put on 10 kilos, who are germaphobes, <laughs> and uh, you know, are scared of people. Because they haven't found a midpoint. And the, the thing of practicing your, your midpoint, your point of relative equilibrium, is the more you're used to being there, the easier you come back to it. You enjoy the good, but you don't expect it to last beyond a little while, and you just fall back into equilibrium. You deal with the bad, knowing you'll come back to equilibrium. And the best way to deal with fear is to know what your equilibrium is, how to build it, how to maintain it. How to decide where the fear bubble starts, where the fear bubble ends. How to do your premeditation of evil. How to stay connected to people because people make life so much better. How to take joy in small things and make sure you capture that knowledge in writing down the three things that went well and why. How to maintain gratitude for the things that are good and to let people know the impact they've had on your life because that'll be good for you and for them. The science is, is pretty clear on this, on that, that equilibrium stuff. That oh, yeah. over, over time, statistics are um, astounding about how, how much better it is to kind of experience things yep. mildly and without expectation. And it's a hard time yeah. to have to learn this because most people have just roller-coasted through entertained, bored, entertained, bored, temporarily scared, temporarily stressed, entertained, bored. And this is the great problem. As much as we're talking about the systems in our world need redundancy, we also need to give humans the training and experience to feel they have redundancy. You know, emotional, physical redundancy to cope. So especially for our listeners out there who perhaps aren't 
in a situation where they have anything that they're particularly keen to learn, you know, I'm sure we have astute audience members who have, have learned it all. But, uh, you know, if you haven't, I think a good place to start is literally the stoicism thing. Uh, yep. I made it sound, uh, I, I played it down there, but <laughs> uh, if you excuse my awful language, um, it's it, it, it will not only help you during this crisis, but it is such a good springboard for, uh, for learning other things as well. So, uh, yeah if that at all piques your interest which it should yeah that's a good place to start and there's so much good stuff on youtube and so many of the original books can be got cheap in electronic form and there's so many people who would happily discuss it with you out there yeah exactly including us send us a question if you're and that goes to everyone everyone in isolation um if you have an interesting question it doesn't have to be about this it can be about anything um just record yourself on your phone send us uh the clip yeah. uh, the email is in the description but it's uh, uh tim at uh, it might be tim whiffen i'm pretty sure it's tim whiffen at oscastnetwork.com and uh we'll feature you in the next episode yeah and it could be that what we do is make more smaller episodes, just deal with little questions in 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, cool. We can do anything we like because we have microphones. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully by next week, I have an even better microphone and our sound quality gets even better. True. I think by next week, I'll have uh, I'll be using my better microphone and I have a little microphone boom that I'll put in front of my face. So that'll be good. <laughs> oh, that's getting pretty advanced. I didn't go that far because I see with my wife and sure which one to order. So if it comes to that, I might get you to tell me which one to order. Yeah, cool. No, no problem. And then we'll be sticking egg cartons all over the walls. Oh, it's so exciting. <laughs> this is the problem. We'll set ourselves up so well that there won't be any point going back in the studio. See, we're going to be part of our own problem. Yeah. <laughs> Should we go back to the studio and visit me? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, David. Well, um, I think that's that's. I think we've fairly well covered fear. Uh, I think there's a few topics we can come back to, but um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for your wisdom today. Thank you, Tim, and thank you, listeners, and we'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the OzCast Network. Peace out.